fingers on bar. <laughs> and this has nothing to do with the sermon. But I saw this video. This is no, this, I mean, I, unless he was using fake weights, I don't know how you fake this. I watched a guy do a 540-pound deadlift with a square bar, and he grabbed it like this. His grip was so strong, he deadlifted 540 pounds. In fact, if you recall 
half of the first chapter of this letter is devoted to that very subject, right? He says, you know, it's assumed that we'll sin at times and that God has made provision in Christ for us to confess our sin and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. That's the, that's the first part, the first, the first chapter, right? The ESV here correctly translates this passage as practicing sin and keeps on sinning. It's very important to the correct understanding of this passage that we differentiate between committing a sin and habitually sinning. Or as he says here, practicing sin. That's a big difference. When you practice something, you do it regularly over and over. The same thing. Pretty much every time, if you notice, I pick up a guitar. First thing I do is run through a couple scales. The reason for that is I gotta loosen up my fingers because I'm old and my fingers don't move like they used to. You laugh at that, wait for that. But it's true, okay? They need a little warm up before I before I play because I like to play it like I like to pick those notes up. And my fingers, if they're cold, it's hard to get them in the right position, okay? Second, when I go to the gym, okay, when I when I get to the gym and it's any kind of upper body day, doesn't matter what we're doing, okay? I always warm up. First thing I do when I get there is warm up my biceps, triceps, and shoulders. Even if I'm not doing biceps or triceps or shoulders, because no matter what, my arms are going to be involved. Something's got to hold the weights. I don't hold them in my teeth. <laughs> That's what I'm shooting for, 540 deadlifts with my teeth. No. Deadlifts would be like, dude. Okay. I gotta warm up my arms because they're gonna be involved no matter what I do. And after the infamous shoulder injury, I've learned that we must protect such things. Practicing here is the idea of sinning over and over. And in general, for us, that usually means committing the same sin or the same class of sin or continuing on in the same the same kind of sin without remorse or without feeling the need to repent and turn from that sin. What John is worried about here is someone who claims to follow Jesus, but they keep on sinning over and over, and they don't really care. They just keep doing it. They just don't care. They might say something like, well, you know, Jesus forgives sins, so no big deal. I'll just go say three Hail Marys, and we're going to go. But John's argument is that since Jesus came to take away sin from our lives, and if we are abiding in him, then we should not keep on sinning. We might sin sometimes, but the presence of Jesus in our lives and our abiding in him should make us strongly desire to not sin. Remember that Jesus himself, we covered in John chapter 15, defines abiding in him as keeping his commands, as doing what he says. And so John strongly warns us that any of us who keep on sinning without trying to deal with that sin do not really know Jesus. Those are really strong words. I mean, that's just strong words. But those words are meant to combat the attitude that says Jesus is full of grace and mercy, that we can just do whatever we want. You can do whatever you want. No big deal. It's every child of God's responsibility to watch out for sin in their lives. Paul says basically the same things in Romans 6. Romans 6, 1 and 2, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? 
By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? When we become children of God through Jesus, we die to sin. And we're joined to his work on the cross. Paul tells us that if our lives are marked by habitual sin, that's what still live in it means. Right? Living is the idea of a way of life that is marked by sin. Then we better think about if we've been truly joined to Christ. Because when we've been actually following Christ, we should have a changed attitude about sin. It should grieve us. When we sin, it should make us want to do differently next time. I knew this guy a long time ago. Long time ago. But not the galaxy far away. I knew this guy who could not stop cheating on his wife, yet he claimed to be a Christian. I mean, we're not talking once or twice, folks. We're talking like, like at least ten times that I know of. And the only time this dude would ever feel bad about it is when she caught him. Which he wasn't so bright, so it wasn't so hard for her. Yeah, yeah. And eventually she left him, and the last time I saw him, he was some other gal and hitting drugs and whatever. He's, he's like, he's nice. Anyway. Yeah, just, I mean, habitual cheating. Now, I also knew a guy, it's also years ago, that struggled with porn. He'd go long periods without succumbing to the temptation. But somehow, something would happen, I don't, I don't know, you know, he'd get stressed out or whatever, and he'd be on the porn again. Very quickly, he'd quit again, he would be very remorseful about it, he, he would confess it, he would call me and confess it, um, you know, even though he could have just kept it between him and Jesus. Um, but I helped him, and eventually, I think, you know, he pretty much kicked the porn. First guy is a case of 1 John 3. Claiming Jesus continually sinning and not feeling sorrow for the sin, only the sorrow that he got caught like 10 times. What a patient woman. 10 times. I'm surprised that she didn't want a knife to make a sleep or something. That was a strong indicator he didn't actually know Christ. But in the second case, the almost immediate sorrow, the remorse, the repentance, the confession, including confessing to another person, you know, pretty good indicator that God's spirit was working in his life. He was struggling, but he was struggling in the right direction, not the wrong direction. That makes a big difference. See, it's easy for sins to just become so, so much, you know, in control that it becomes an addiction, and how somebody handles that addiction to that sin is a good indicator of where they are with the Lord. If they're justifying, ignoring, and gaslighting, and blaming others, these are all indications of 1 John 3. If they're seeking help, if they're failing, but sincerely repenting and seeking to get better, that shows the work of God in their lives. Now John's other indicator here is how does a person live with regards to righteousness? Now when we see righteousness here, it just means living like Jesus. Don't, don't try to, whenever you see the word righteousness in a case like this, in other words, not Paul. Paul used it in very specific terms. When you see John talk about righteousness, he's just talking about living like Jesus. And John connects it right to Jesus because he says, as he is righteous. Are we seeking to live like Jesus? This is always going to be the question. Are you seeking to live like Jesus? Am I seeking to live like Jesus? Overall, right? I could put the graph up. Right? You've all seen my graph, right? 
that life of Christ, following Christ isn't any two steps forward, one step back. You've all seen this graph. I've shown it multiple times. Okay. That's what it's like. But the trajectory's got to be the right way. And John warns us not, don't let anybody deceive us, because there's folks out there that on the surface are trying to look real hard to look righteous. But in fact, they are caught up in habitual, unrepentant sin. I knew one of those guys, too. This guy was always talking about the Bible and praying and would talk and talk about Jesus and stuff all the time. And honestly, he presented as one of the most devoted people you would ever meet. And he was an unrepentant pedophile. Sometimes it's just plain hard to know.
this is one of those things that when I stand up here and preach it to you, and you read it in the scriptures, that nobody gets warm fuzzies. I don't make any points as a pastor when I preach this kind of stuff. Right? This is one of those things that the people that, that want to, like, you know, be all like, well, Jesus is all love and never all love. You know, just like hell, they want to write that out of the Bible. We don't like to think of people as following the devil. But in Jesus' mind, we're following him or we're following the devil. And really, more likely, not even realizing he's following the devil. Okay, we're not talking, you know, we're not talking Anton Bay Satan worshiper here. We're just talking people being like the devil. The devil's the original sinner, and when we continue in habitual sin, people are doing what he does. And I think some of this is an indication, because we don't think about that much, we really don't take the spiritual battle all that really seriously. We're so caught up with that Western scientific mindset that even suggesting someone may be influenced by satanic powers sounds crazy to a lot of people. You say to somebody, you know what, I think a lot of that is just because of demonic powers, and they look at you like you're a little squirrely. Yeah. And I'll admit, when I took those muscle relaxers this week, you know, with my back, I was definitely a little squirrely, but not in the satanic way. But if Jesus came to, it says, what does John say? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What is implicit in that? That there must be some works of the devil to destroy. They aren't imaginary works of the devil. That Jesus didn't come to destroy imaginary things. There must be works of the devil to destroy. And maybe some of those are just people getting caught up in habitual sin but thinking they're all right with Jesus. Because the devil would love that. For you to think you're all right with Jesus, but to be caught in habitual sin, the devil's going, yeah, we're going to have a wonderful hot eternity together. Right? He likes that. But John tells us that folks that are thinking like that, they are not all right. Because how we live shows whose child we are. Last two verses here in 1 John 3 we're going to cover today. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Here's the thing. Okay? Now I want to make this clear. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. No question. No question. Okay? No one can work themselves into eternal life. You can't do it. But how we live becomes the evidence of God's grace in our lives or lack thereof. That's why, did you see what he says? It is evident. What does evident mean? It means that it's what shows something, right? evidence of that grace is our lives. And John wants our lives to show the evidence of being born of God, of being God's child. That means our lives should look like moving toward more living like Jesus and a lot less living like the devil. Now, I grew up in a church, some of you grew up in a church like this, where everyone would claim, everyone would claim you are saved by grace and faith. 
but they had like two million rules. Okay? If the Bible was this thick, the rule book was like this. No women in slaps. There no
it might take them a while to come, to come back and get their, get their bearings. And God's Spirit can hopefully change their lives back. I think that's a sound answer, because, and it means don't ever give up on somebody, because we don't know the end until it's the end. Now, the second possibility, and this is the most common answer you're going to get in probably conservative Baptist-type churches like us. Maybe they were just never truly saved. But they had heard enough of the gospel when their sin finally was too much to bear, they repented and turned to Jesus for relief. So they weren't really saved in the first place. But they had heard the gospel numerous times, and they knew the truth. And then eventually their sin got to be too much to bear, and finally they turned to Christ because they were just desperate and didn't know what else to do, and God's Spirit was working in their hearts, and He brought them to, to Himself, and they turned to Jesus. This is also a good biblical answer, which also means don't ever give up on anybody. It might hurt bad. Now my third answer is maybe, since we can't know everything going on in a person's life or heart, we just have to trust God and let him know, him who knows all, deal with it. Now, does that mean we shouldn't try to help them gently see the error of their sin? Well, of course it doesn't. But we also need to know that ultimately it's God who needs to wound them. You can't, you can't. No one gets forced into the gospel. It doesn't happen. Well, I also know what the Romans says, it's his kindness that leads us to repent. Not me bashing you with a giant King James family Bible. <laughs> but we also know from John here the fruit of righteousness is the best evidence we have of somebody's spiritual status. And when that evidence shows habitual, unrepentant sin, we have a right to question them and even confront them. In kindness and gentleness. Not with the giant King James family Bible. Confrontation does not require injury, folks. Just keep that in mind. We have a right to question. We have a right to confront. And it's no fun. It's absolutely no fun. You know what? Talking to somebody about their sin is no, no, no joy ride. But you know what? Maybe will snatch somebody from the fire. And another responsibility of the child of God is to do our best to help other people find the light and freedom of Jesus. I'm just going to leave us with the words of Jude, the Lord's brother. From Jude, verses 21 through 23. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Father God, it is uh, sort of a scary part of John's letter when we talk about following the devil. sin is a pretty good indicator that maybe we're not really following Jesus when we're caught in that sin. Father, uh, 
none of us be that kind of person. May we be quick to repent when we do sin. May we be quick to snatch others out of the fire. May we be quick to show mercy on those who doubt. May we be like Jesus, filled with love and grace, knowing it's your kindness that leads people to repentance, not punching them upside the head. And Father, as we're known as people of gentleness and grace, may the Lord Jesus be known in and through us. We pray in his name.